If you would open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 and Romans 1, we will read from those two passages again uh, before we begin as we started last week. Genesis chapter 1 and then Romans chapter 1. Father, we ask as we approach your word this morning that again you will continue to instruct us as to how we are to think about very important issues that we as a society are facing today. We ask, Lord, that you would help us as believers to think as Christians. The Father, we would be biblical in the way that we form our opinions. The Father, we would not only think your thoughts after you, but Father, that we would be informed by your word, that we would look at the world and seek to understand the world by what your word says. We pray, Lord, that we would be committed to the fact that your word is truth and that we are to know the truth and live out the truth and live by the truth. We thank you, Father, again for preserving your word for us. And so, Lord, as we seek your guidance, we ask you bless as well. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Again, Genesis 1. Verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then in Romans 1, beginning in verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So this is the last in our series as we've been looking at current issues, things that we are facing, those things that seem to be dividing our nation and those issues and a way of looking at those issues that have been infiltrating the church. The idea surrounds, I guess, the idea of what's been called social social justice. We're not looking at every aspect of that, but we did look at homosexuality in particular. We looked at racism. And now we're kind of dealing with the, the the gender issues and the confusion around that and really more or less how we are to respond as believers, how we are to form our understanding of how we are to understand these issues and then how we are to express ourselves. Along with this, the idea is for us to do a couple of things because there are some individuals, because they desire there to be peace in the church, they don't want to see conflict. And so when it comes to these issues, they'll say, well, what? I don't know what the big deal is. I don't want to make a big deal about 
whatever gender of choice somebody makes. And if someone is pushing a homosexual agenda, well, it doesn't really affect me. And so, you know, we just we, we need to make sure we love them and we want to show them the grace of God. And I understand their hearts of those individuals who say such things, but we're not allowed to do that. At the same time, we don't want to be individuals who appear to be overly judgmental and harsh or cruel to people because we don't like what they're doing. We want to make sure that we are seeking to have a relationship with them, that we do love them and care for them. But we want to remain firm on the gospel and what the real needs happen to be. When it comes to these issues, then, we need to make sure that as we understand them, we need to understand what the scripture says. We do not want to have the approach where when it comes to these issues, when they arise, that we are thinking or saying, well, obviously, there's men and women. Because that isn't obvious to everybody. It should be obvious to the believer, but it isn't obvious. We don't want to be an individual who just basically takes a conservative approach and leave God out of it. We want to make sure that we are standing in what the scripture says. That's the word of God that guides our thinking and our understanding of these issues. We want to express ourselves in such a way that everything continues to point back to God and the Bible. What we say in those instances are, is already going to be unpopular with many people. And they may not like us because of that. But we really want to do our best to make sure that the focus is really on God and what God has said. We want to do that in a kind way, but also in a firm way. And so whatever side of the issue we happen to be on, or what stances we've taken, we do want to make sure that we are standing on what the Scripture says. And as we've pointed out before, there are times that we may want to take a, a stand that allows for less conflict or maybe less confrontation. And what ends up happening is we do end up denying what the Scripture says. We do end up unwittingly rebelling against God. And so we want to make sure that we don't, we don't participate in it that way. These issues can be very, very difficult in the day and age we live in because there seems to be, and I guess there really often is, a lot of emotion that's behind it. And, so, and when there's a lot of emotion, sometimes don't, people don't always want to argue or discuss things rationally. What ends up taking place is they are led by their emotions. And then there's the accusations that are thrown out. It is important that we understand that as believers, that if you do take a stand on the Bible, that automatically will put you in a position where you will be unpopular with some people. And there's no way to get around that. And that's okay. What we need to recognize is that we need to honor God and be faithful to God in all things. So what we did then in approaching this is, I was, you know, I, I've mentioned the, many of the several books I've read, and articles I've read, and trying to kind of put together a lot of things to help us to think through these things. And came across some questions that we should ask in helping us to formulate our thoughts. And so we've looked at four. One is, whatever our view of sexuality is, is our view of sexuality is it an expression of creator or creature worship? And what we pointed out was, is that when it comes to our view of sexuality, we looked at Romans 1, where when, in Romans 1 that we read this morning, when Paul talks about man exchanging the glory of God and basically ends up in idol worship, the first expression of that departure from God is in the sexual realm. And so in noticing that, that helps us to recognize in one sense 
how important that issue is, and that that issue is very deeply intertwined with what is going on in the life of individuals spiritually. Those who are rebelling against God in this way often manifest that rebellion when it comes to their views and or practices in the sexual realm. And so we see that predominantly here in the book of Romans. Along with that, we ask the question, does our view of sexuality redefine love and hate? The idea being that we want to make sure that we get our definition from the scripture. Last week we talked about does our view of sexuality resort to worldview bullying? And we talked about what, that, what we meant by worldview bullying. And that there are those who will say that they, have, they are so identified or they so identify themselves by their sexual views, whatever that may happen to be. And people do this often. They then they have an all or nothing approach. That either you accept them and their views, even celebrate their views, or then you are, in a sense, rejecting them and they will reject you. And so we want to make sure that, and so when they do that, that is a form of bullying. They're saying they want you, they are demanding that you accept their worldview. That their feelings are number one and cannot be questioned. Therefore, their view of sexuality, their sexuality, etc., not only must be embraced and celebrated, but cannot be questioned. And then, of course, we saw, does our view of sexuality include self-deification? And again, that goes back to the idea that individuals who want to believe whatever the view is on really any issue, but in this issue, on these issues in particular, the idea is that they are sovereign of themselves. God really has no say, and they want that to be understood and respected. They are deifying themselves. God is the one who declares what is right, what is wrong, what is moral, what is correct, what is immoral. God is the sole individual who does those things. We submit ourselves to what God has said. We do not have the right to declare, like for example, I'm going to choose my gender because I think I was born in the wrong body, etc., etc. Not only does that not make any sense biologically, but that goes against what God has said in the scripture. And we want to make sure we stick with the categories that he's given to us. And then, of course, does our vision of sexuality promote the kind of authenticity and freedom that leaves pe people confused and enslaved? So let me repeat that. Does your view or your vision of sexuality promote the kind of authenticity and freedom that leaves people confused and enslaved. In other words, if you go along and promote a view of sexuality that our society is pushing, then this is what you're promoting. You're promoting confusion and enslavement. There's been many books written about addictions. Some of them, I believe, are, well, it's an overused word when it comes to addiction, and it is a word that is often defined inappropriately, and uh, we don't have time to get into all of that. There are aspects of addiction that the world says which is true and there is an aspect of in the sexual realm of addictions and what happens is is that because of the strength of sexual sin if we then go along with what our society says we are promoting enslavement to that because sexual sin does easily enslave individuals and we don't want to be a part of that now, I, I've, I, I think I've only done this once in my entire life, where in a sermon I'm going to quote from an animated movie. 
We're going to give you an illustration from an animated movie. The movie is called The Incredibles. Some of you know what that is. There is a young, aspiring crime fighter. His name is Buddy Pine. And he's always bothering Mr. Incredible because he wants to be part of the team. He wants to be taught things. He wants to be basically discipled. He wants to fight crime. But he says something very profound to Mr. Incredible when they're getting to the point to where it becomes obvious that Mr. Incredible wants nothing to do with this young man. And this is what this young man says. You always say be true to yourself, but you never say which part of yourself to be true to. And of course, if you're familiar with the movie, Buddy ends up becoming a supervillain who will stop at nothing to make a name for himself. And why does he do that? Because Buddy was true to himself. He was true to the part of himself, which is in all of us. He was faithful to the malevolent and self-centered part of his personality. The advice to be true to ourselves and follow our heart only works on the assumption that ourselves are thoroughly good and that our hearts are not filled with dark and twisted desires. The advice to follow your heart is lousy advice because our hearts are not simple. Our hearts are divided. And that's not just a, a, an, an advice quip that is given in movies. It is repeated over and over again in our society. When some individual supposedly comes out of the closet, people say, I, I want to uh, let the individual how proud I am for what? Following their heart. If you follow your heart, you will never go wrong. It is true. Hitler followed his heart. Stalin followed his heart. That's what they were following. Jeffrey Dahmer followed his heart. That's not the way to go. C.S. Lewis said this, The heart is an epic war of imperialistic drives and contradictory instincts. Which ones then should we follow? In fact, the call to follow your heart is actually a call to be slavishly devoted to the ideologies of others. That ends up being one of the cruelest things that you can ever say to a young person. And we know this to be true because in Jeremiah chapter 17, in verse 5, it says, This says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. And then in verse 9 and 10, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. In Psalm 53, beginning in verse 1, it says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together, they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. We need to remember that justice is giving others what they are due. It's one way of, uh, of, of stating what justice is. So turning that on, on its head, T.J. Williams asked this question. And I think he does a, a pretty clever job in the way he answers this. His question is, what are children due? He says this. They are due a rich, beautiful, and compelling vision of a moral reality that is bigger than their feelings. They are due the exhilarating offer not of trying to craft their own identities out of thin air, but of being authored by someone infinitely smarter, stronger, and more loving than they are. 
Creating and sustaining an identity, including a sexual identity, is a creator-sized task. Heaping that weight on the shoulders of young creatures, using sexual freedom and gender identity to deprive people of the joy of being authored is not social justice. It is cruel. So once again, the idea is, is that we turn to God to understand what is our identity. We turn to the word of God to understand what it is we are and what it is that we are to do and what, is, what it is our responsibilities. That's where we go. The word of God has something to say about every aspect of life. In 2 Peter, it states explicitly that all things for life and godliness are given to us in the knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. I am one of those individuals that believes everything the Bible says. I do not believe that God misspeaks at any point in the Bible. So then when Peter wrote those words, that God has given us all things that pertain to life, I believe that. I am convinced that most Christians will say they believe that, but they don't really apply that to every aspect of life. It's not natural to do so. We must think about it. We must, almost, in a sense, force ourselves to do so, to think this way, biblically, about all of life. But if we do so, that keeps us free from the enslavement of sin. If we do so, that enables us to enjoy life. There is great freedom that comes from submitting to what God has said. Now, I've used this before, so don't misunderstand, I'm not saying that we are dogs. But if you ever watch videos of individuals, there's a few individuals who call themselves dog whisperers, and they do know a lot about dogs. And I remember listening to one guy, I think it was the guy named Caesar. He said that when he is called to help people fix their dog problems, he says, almost always, dogs do not have problems. Dogs have people problems. It's the owner. And the owner needs to, number one, stop treating their dog like a person, because they're not people. He says you need to treat them like a dog. Now, when we say that as individuals, sometimes we say, well, so-and-so treats so-and-so like a dog. We normally mean they're treating them poorly. He's not advocating treating them poorly. What he's saying is, is you need to treat them according to their nature and what they are. And he mentions that when you treat a dog properly as a dog, that then helps the dog to what? Enjoy being a dog. You free him from the burden of trying to be a people. Right? And the animal now is no longer neurotic. It no longer has all these other kinds of issues. It is obedient and happy. When we then understand what we are according to the word of God, and we submit ourselves as creatures to the creator who's created us, in that we find freedom. And so I'm not trying to figure out who I am. <coughs> it's a little late in life for me to do that anyway, and that would be a real drag on my time to try to figure out who I am. We already know who we are. The Bible helps us to understand who we are. God says, this is who you are, this is what you are, go and enjoy my creation. That's really what he's getting at. And so we have the freedom to enjoy life. Remember that the rules and the regulations and the commands that God gives to us are not supposed to be changed around our neck. It's freedom. So we don't become enslaved to our passions. We become a slave to sin. But this leads us back to what I covered three weeks ago. And so the last question is, does our vision of sexuality 
undermine the best news anyone could ever hear. Remember we said before that when it comes to these issues, they are manifestations of what's going on in the lives of individuals and in our society spiritually. That is not an exaggeration. We're not trying to stretch it and just kind of create some kind of a connection and say, oh yeah, that's what that really is. That is what it is. I believe Romans 1 and many passages point that out. In his book called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, J.I. Packer says this, the gospel starts by teaching us that we, as creatures, are absolutely dependent on God and that he, as creator, has absolute claim on us. Only when we have learned this can we see what sin is. And only when we see what sin is can we understand the good news of salvation from sin. We must know what it means to call God creator before we can grasp what it means to speak of him as redeemer. One of the reasons why that is so important, maybe more now than when he wrote this back, I believe, in the 70s, and that is we live in a time when there are fewer and fewer people who have at least borrowed what the Bible says when it comes to their understanding of reality. Many non-believers before, especially in Western countries, believed that there was a God. And they believed to one extent or another that God had something to do with creation. They believed that God was the standard of what was moral and what was immoral. Most individuals, their ideas about sin, though maybe they weren't all as, as orthodox as it should be, pretty much came from what the Word of God had to say. So then when we began to talk about the Bible, and we began to talk about sin, and talk about why Christ came, all of that made sense to them. But today we live in a time when that's no longer the case. And so when you have individuals who don't believe that we are created, who don't believe that God exists, who don't believe in the definitions that are given in Scripture, who don't think there is a God who has laid down a moral law that anyone has to follow, when they think that the Bible is a nice book but an old book and has some nice suggestions but it's outdated, when you then begin to talk about sin and Christ's death, it makes no sense to them. They have no idea what you're talking about. They cannot relate to that. And so we have to begin even at a more basic level. It used to be that when you were told an individual that they had sinned, they would all acknowledge, yeah, yeah, I, I know I have. Today, when you say to an individual they have sinned, they become offended and say, I have not sinned. When I was a chaplain of the jail, sometimes individuals would say to me, it must be really easy to evangelize in the jail because you never have to convince anyone that they're a sinner. The jail is full of human beings. Do you know how many times I've come in contact with, a, with an inmate who tells me right up front that he knows he's a sinner? In my 13 years, maybe 20 times. Often when I ask an individual if he sinned, unless they're in there for some really horrendous, horrible thing, they do say, oh, I'm not a sinner. Because I've not, and they'll tell me what they've not done. And there's a certain list that they have. Oh, I, because I've not done this, and I've not done this, and I've not done that. I'm not a sinner. I mean, I, I know I've done some things that are bad, but they're not that bad. And so I have to shatter that. Remember one time I'm talking to a young man. He was, well, he wasn't, well, he's, compared to me, he's young. But he was 38. When he was arrested, all he had was he was wearing um, a pair of jeans, no socks, no shoes, no belt, a T-shirt, and a wallet, but the wallet had no ID, no money, nothing. I'm not sure what the wallet was for, but that's what he had. When he was, that's all he had. 
At one time, he had a pretty good job, was married, his wife was a nurse, owned a home, uh, had a couple cars, a lot of things that we would consider to be normal. Through the course of time, uh, at the age of 38, he told me that between the ages of 19 and 38, he spent more time in jail than out of jail. His wife had left him. Uh, he had lost everything that he owned because when he was arrested, that really was everything that he owed. He had no bank account. He had no income. He had nothing. And he said that, that even when it came time for him to get out again, he was facing, I think, four or five more years, that his own mother basically said, don't even bother to call me. Then he followed that up with this. You know, chaplain, sometimes I really think I've messed up my life. And I said immediately, you think? I said, wait a minute. What do you mean you think? And then I repeated what he told me. And got to the point, I said, and your own mother doesn't even want you to call her. And you think you've messed up? And then he said this. Well, when you put it like that. <laughs> I, I said, what other way is there to put this? I said, just so we're on the same page, you have totally messed up your life. Your life is in absolute ruins. You have no hope. When you count the years in prison, you have nothing to go to. You have nowhere to return to because none of those things exist any longer. You have no friends. You have no family. You have nothing. I said, your life is zero. He said, aren't you supposed to encourage me? I said, not yet. <laughs> I want to make sure you understand the truth of your situation. And then I want to give you the gospel. But I'm not sure you're really ready for that yet. Because I'm not convinced that you think you even need to be saved. He says, well, I, I don't think I've really done anything bad enough to be saved from. And so we spent more time. The good news is he was there for another six months. It took five more months before he became convinced that, yeah, he was in a position that he needed to be saved. The Lord did save him, which was fantastic. Because I told him, I says, you now have a home. I said, every church out there is filled with people that are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I said, you now have time to begin to read the Bible, to study the Bible, and let the Lord change you on the, from the inside out so that when you leave this place, you will be truly a different individual. And that's the good news. So don't ever think for a moment that somehow, that if we just somehow repeat the words, Jesus died for your sin, everyone automatically understands what that means because they don't. We need to keep in mind that if we go with the cultural flow of what our society is saying, meaning the celebration of creatures, human beings, desires, their sexual desires, as if those desires are authoritative and unquestionable, with no need for repentance and no need for repentance, then we are not upholding the Godhead of God. We become complicit with the lie that the creature is the measure of sexual truth. When we do that, we rob God of his honor, the honor that he is due. We rob creatures of the gospel that makes no sense apart from the supremacy of God over all of life, including sex. I want to close with reading to you a passage from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. 
In all of your ways, acknowledge him. He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. In verse 6, the word acknowledge. The simple meaning is to know. It is one of the primary uses uh, to know someone relationally and experientially. It refers to knowing or not knowing persons personally or by reputation. But in the Greek dictionary, I, I looked at several of them, and one of them added this. That the word acknowledge, when it says, in all your ways acknowledge him, the word acknowledge there specifically signifies knowing what to do or knowing what to think in general, especially with respect to God. So as believers, in all of your ways, in all of your sexual ways, in all of your sexual views, in all of your political ways, in all of your political views, in all your social ways, in all of your opinions, in all of your convictions, acknowledge God. That's what we do as believers. Acknowledge God. When someone challenges you, if you say there are only two genders, male and female, and they say, where do you get that from? You can say we get it from biology. What you should say is directly from God. When you say there are no genders except male and female, who gives you the right to say that? Well, I'm repeating what God has said. That's what he's made clear in the scripture. When we say that marriage is between a man and a woman, where do we get that from? That's not the conservative view of life. That's what God says. And I believe what God says. I follow what God says. When it comes to any of these issues, the bottom line is it is connected to their need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when, we, when an individual is what we might even call or somebody may say that they are confused when it comes to their gender, the answer is not giving them a better course in biology. They need to know who God is. Who is God? God is our creator. He is sovereign. He is sovereign over every aspect of my life and your life. I have no right to determine things for myself, for myself that has already been determined by God. I have no way to be able to argue my point with him and prove him wrong and be correct. There's the way of sin and there's the way of Christ. We need to be, in, in one sense, we need to be gospel-centered. We need to be biblically-centered. We need to be biblically-minded. We need to try to find as many ways as possible to express biblical truth to others. We can do so firmly and lovingly. We want to make sure then that when you begin to feel sometimes that, that frustration and the irritability and the anger that sometimes comes up against individuals who might be saying certain things in a certain way, we need to ask the Lord to help us to calm our hearts because those individuals desperately need Christ. Remember that when they, were, when they were yelling for Jesus to be crucified, they were yelling. They were screaming at the top of their lungs that they wanted him dead. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, Jesus is hanging there paying the penalty for sin. And man comes along and spits at him and calls his name, call him, calls him names and mocks him. And we all know that it's true that all Jesus had to do was think the thought 
and their hearts would have stopped beating. He could have just winked, and they would have all just died suddenly. If that was me on the cross, I'm winking. That's what I'm doing. But not Jesus. Because the Bible describes the kind of love that he has for us, which is, I think, humanly impossible to truly grasp. We're able, to, we're able to grasp some of it because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's a wonderful gift that God gives to us. Remind yourself that these individuals need Christ. They hate Christ before they ever hated us. And that's why in their misery and pain, they're screaming the way they scream. And ask God to give you a love for them, help them, be kind to them, remain firm and true to the scripture. And ask God for help because we need his strength to take a stand in the society in which we live in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your grace and kindness and love. We pray, Father, you would help us to recognize that we have a worldview that is truly based on all that you've given to us in your word. Help us, Father, to live faithfully to a biblical worldview. Help us, Father, to love others as Christ has loved others. Help us, Father, to recognize not only the beauty of the gospel, but the power of the gospel. The same power that has transformed us is the same power that can and will transform them. We pray that you would help us to recognize opportunities that we have to share Christ. Father, we know that in some cases it would be very little bits and pieces given here and there. Small things that we are able to share when the, when the time is right. But help us, Father, to continue to pray for those opportunities, to look for those opportunities, and to take hold of those opportunities. We pray, Lord, that you help us to live consistently before you in a way that when others begin to go through great difficulty, perhaps they will remember that our life is not devoid of problems, but that we handle our problems very differently. And perhaps then curiosity will get the best of them. Perhaps they'll begin to think that maybe there really is something to church or something to Christianity or the Bible. And they'll come and they'll seek us out. And Father, we ask that in those moments you'll help us to take great advantage of that opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them and never to downplay the difference of our life and their life. Because it's never because we're better and never because we're smarter, because we are the recipients of your, of your lavish grace and kindness. We thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. We do thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.